You are listening to Beyond Smart Buildings by PropMoto, where we explore the eight principles that go into intelligent space. To listen to other episodes from this series, just search for PropMoto wherever you listen to your podcasts. everyone. My name is Franco. I'm the editor of PropMoto, and this is my podcast about smart buildings. I've identified eight smart building principles that, that are really needed in order to make a building smart. With me, as always, is my co-host for this, Vincent Dermody. You know, he spent much of his career thinking and acting on these kind of frameworks for smart buildings. Hi, Vinny. Hi, Franco. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. You know, t- today we're talking about an important, you know, seemingly obvious aspect of a smart building, you know, which is intelligence, right? Uh, you know, we all have a sense of what it means to be intelligent, uh, particularly as, you know, for a human, what it means for a human to be intelligent. But when it comes to buildings, you know, that definition starts to get a little bit fuzzier. You know, the, the classical definition of an intelligent machine or a building is, you know, it's, it's, quote, able to vary its state or action in response to varying situations, varying requirements, and past experiences. You know, I think that helps give us an understanding of, of the kind of responsiveness that's needed in, in this idea of, of intelligence when it comes to buildings. But uh, it still leaves out a lot, you know, when you, we're thinking about how, how and why a building is, is responding to these outside sources. So, you know, if any, maybe what can you tell me about, you know, how, how you think about intelligence as it pertains to buildings? Typically, the thinking behind a smart building is that we have all these functions that must occur inside of a building and we apply technology to it. Adding more and more technology to these functions doesn't necessarily give you a smarter building or a more intelligent building. What we have to do is pivot our lens from these verticals of technology and function and think of it horizontally. So we've got to think of the user. We've got to think of the actual user experience of all the all, considering all the variety of users um, that are there and making that frictionless, making that seamless, and making that continuous. That's the critical part of it, getting to intelligence in the space rather than just technically smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously this is a bit tricky, right? Because you know we're dealing with lots of different users, lots of stakeholders in the building who all are asking different things of it. Um, you know, and, and you know, obviously there's people that, that actually work and, and live in these buildings, right? And guests that are in there for the first time, the, the staff that's, that, that's actually doing the work uh, of the building and, and maintaining it. Uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, h- how do kind of all of those different viewpoints have to mold into this one concept of, of intelligent buildings? Well, perception is the reality when it comes to intelligent buildings. How somebody perceives the actual building to be is actually how it is. Um, so it's, it, it, it's irrelevant how much technology you have underneath the hood if somebody finds it unwieldy to use, not instinctive to use. And so getting those perceptions right and getting that frictionless feeling in how we use buildings is, is, is critical. And we've got to do this for a large few people, uh, or sorry, a large range of people with a variety of expectations on what they expect from the building. You know, for this episode, I was lucky enough to talk to someone to help me define this idea of, of intelligence when it comes to, to buildings uh, that, that has a background in user design. You know, and she's helped a large property firm defi- define and implement user experience-driven intelligence across an entire real estate portfolio. I'm Sheridan Ware. I'm the Chief Information and Technology Officer at Charter Hall, who is one of the leading uh, property fund managers um, in Australia, currently custodian of more than $52 billion of funds under management in Australian property. Sheridan has a unique perspective on designing intelligence into buildings. 
because of her background designing for the digital world. Yeah, I grew up um, in the, the technology world more from a user experience point of view. So back many, many years ago, um, when we were all moving businesses online, it was my job um, to make sure that we were designing those websites in a way that actually made sense for the people who were going to use them every day. Um, and, and I think that's given me a really good foundation these days um, in how we design technology in the built world. Designing intelligence is like designing anything. It requires designers to be both an engineer and an artist. First, function needs to be considered. What is it that you want this intelligence to do? What are the constraints? How can you most effectively achieve any desired outcome? But then the artist part kicks in and purpose becomes important. Why does it exist? How will it make people feel? Sheridan thinks that this is an important conversation for every landlord to have. I don't think that any landlord these days cannot consider user experience in the way that they're not just designing the physical structure, but also the digital structure around buildings. I don't even think it's a nice-to-have anymore. I think it's a must-have, especially here in Australia. All of the landlords are thinking this way. And that really requires teams to think from the very, very, from the outset and even within existing buildings about what do they desire that experience to be. Clearly, it has to be frictionless, but what are the moments of engagement and meaning that we can also build into that experience, particularly for our building communities, so that coming into a charter hall building is not just easy and convenient, it's also engaging and meaningful. Um, Because, you know, especially in a post-COVID world, I think it's really important to be deeply curious about what the value of commuting into an office is going forward um, for people who you know, come into work in our buildings in particular. One of the difficulties of designing building intelligence is the broad meaning of that word. Not only does every user have their own perception of intelligence, there are so many different options for creating it. With so many systems in a building, all with their own list of technologies, vendors, and integrations, Sheridan thinks that it can seem daunting and ultimately slow down the pace of progress industry-wide. When you're designing a smart building, I think the biggest issue that we have as an industry is one of focus. So there is just such a broad range of options out there, and it can be so easy to be overwhelmed, I think, when you're considering a smart building because those options are also constantly changing and you can feel like you're drowning in a sea of prop tech. Um, And so what's become really clear to us um, from testing and learning um, over a number of years is that you've got to focus not on the what, which is the smart building, but you've got to focus on the why, which is the outcomes that we're trying um, to produce because no one really wants a smart building at the end of the day. They want whatever the smart building Um, can do for them that a non-smart building um, perhaps could not. And so for us, that is um, very much around the experience, the operations, so how do we operate the building efficiently and sustainably, and increasingly um, about risk. So how do we protect 
our buildings, the physical and the digital assets in our buildings from threat. And of course, that's becoming increasingly necessary given the, um, the increasing and emerging impacts uh, presented by um, a cyber threat. There's a famous quote by productivity guru and author David Allen. You can do anything, but not everything. This applies to designing smart buildings, according to Sheridan. She said that rather than try to upgrade every system, they wanted to first target the ones that had the most impact. To do this, they used a principle made famous by a different kind of productivity guru, Joseph Joran, the 80-20 rule. What we get later focused on is what's the 80-20? So what are the 20% of things that will solve 80% of the issues? In those areas. So, in the experience side, I think it is, you know, we know it's um, HVAC, we know it's lift, we know it's cleanliness. Um, in the operation side, most of um, the consumption comes from, again, HVAC, comes from lighting. And in risk, we know that a lot of the threat comes from how people are accessing those systems and whether those systems are properly um, patched and, and, um, and maintained over time. So instead of trying to focus on everything, we try to focus on what is going to drive the most amount of benefit against the, the few core outcomes that we really want to be well known for. For a product to be intelligent, it has to be designed by a team that is willing to experiment. Experimentation is risky and can often be avoided in a corporate setting. So in order to create an environment where risks are taken and envelopes are pushed, Many organizations have to embed some of these ideas into their culture. Charter Hall is a good example of how this looks in the often risk-averse property sector. We do like to start think big, but start small. I think that's what a lot of innovation teams try to do. And I think really importantly, um, we, we call it win or learn. You, you either have a pilot or a project and you win on it, or you learn from it. Um, and, and, and you keep getting better. Um, the, there's no real concept of failure at Charter Hall. Failure is just a value to learn. So I think having that cultural dimension in place is, is really important. Um, we, um, I'll give you an example. So, so we tend to try to pilot something first and then start small and then expand big as soon as we've got the learnings that we, ha we need in order to make something scalable. Um, and often the way that you can test some of those things out is when you actually do have the greenfield project where you're not operating within the same sort of financial and technical and physical constraints um, that we, we have with buildings that are older um, in our portfolio. So a great example for us would be um, uh, the GPO Exchange, which was a building that we completed in late 2019 uh, in the city of Adelaide in Australia. It's a really gorgeous building and it's a beautiful um, sort of unification of the old and the new because the original building on the site was built back in the 1900s, the early 1900s, and we've put in a modern um, office building um, integrated into that site. And so we had a, a blank sheet of paper there. We put in 25 different building control systems, so everything from you know measuring occupancy and space utilisation and providing access to um, smart and trip facilities like lockers and what have you, all the way through to you know, lighting and visitor management, contractor management, waste, 
looking at utilisation of loading docks um, and electric vehicle stations, I mean, this thing had it all. Um, and it was a real challenge, right, bringing together the data points that you need. Um, I think there was something in the region of 32,000 different data points that we were pulling together in, in a unified way to try to operate that building. And, and broadly speaking, I mean, this is a very successful building. It's been recognised with multiple different awards for, for what it's done. But I think there were some learnings in that for us around how large you need to go, right? How many of those different data points, how much of that analysis actually is useful for our team um, on a day-to-day basis. Focusing on smaller, impactful projects helps narrow the scope of work for creating smarter buildings. But that isn't the only benefit. After getting a few smaller wins, the benefits start adding up. They start justifying the time, effort, and money that they require, and maybe more importantly, win over the people who have to change the way they work in order to implement them. Working small and then expanding out quickly, we were able to, in a number of months, start to analyze some key metrics across our portfolios, and more more importantly, put actionable insights into the hands of our on-the-ground operations team to start changing. I mean, we ended up with hundreds of different initiatives, hundreds of different things that we could do that were very small, but in aggregate led to um, a sizable reduction in in cost and waste um, in our buildings. And now we're working with that same provider to extend those data sets into other areas like cleaning um, so that we can feed up through that same platform um, more and more actionable insights that help us continuously improve over time. In the battle for intelligent buildings, the foot soldiers are the facilities managers. They are the ones that will have to use any technology at the building level. That means that any building that wants to be intelligent will have to be mindful of them as the important stakeholder that they are. I had this real realization that um, it's not just about the end user experience. It's if you want to drive an outcome for an end user, who is responsible for changing the way that they work? in order to drive a different outcome. And you've got to engage those people, right, particularly facilities managers. I feel so sorry for them. They're expected to, you know, be the the face to the customer in the building community. They're expected to be a compliance expert. They're expected to be a master coordinator. I mean, we pull our facilities managers uh, always and sideways. And ultimately, if you're putting technology in their hands, it doesn't make their life easier then it either won't be used or you're making an incredibly difficult position already even harder. And so we have to design um, this experience. We have to integrate it into the way that they work as effectively as possible if we want to get anywhere. And I think that's been a miss for a lot of us in the community is we've been too focused on the technology rather than who needs to use it to drive what change that gets you to that outcome that you want. Sheridan struck me as an optimist. She never once gave off the impression that I get from others on this subject that there's only so much innovation that can be brought to bear on a building. They're just large concrete steel boxes after all, right? Instead, she sees our building's new digital layer as blank canvases with unlimited possibilities, much like a website. This means a just as endless amount of opportunities exist. 
But the only way to seize these opportunities is to try them out in the real world first. Like having grown up as a human-centered designer, there's so much opportunity here in our industry for human-centered design and co-creation, right? So let's get into their world. Let's understand the day in the life of a facilities manager. Let's understand their pain points. And if we want to get to a different outcome, let's design their world so that it's easier for them to get there. And you can't do that in a lab, right? You have to do it with them because otherwise the whole investment will fail or fail to meet the outcomes that you had originally intended. Designing even the smallest widget is hard. Designing something as amorphous and complicated as intelligence is incredibly hard. The easy thing for commercial property owners to do is nothing, but it's likely not the one that will create the most value. With the right people in the right teams, with the right culture, intelligence can be designed into buildings, no matter how you choose to define it. Thanks for listening. This series is brought to you by Cohen Resnick, a leading U.S. advisory, assurance, and tax firm with a global perspective and extensive experience in commercial real estate. As our post-pandemic world continues to take shape, Cohen Resnick believes that the industry's new normal must be one centered around trust, where investors, tenants, landlords, and communities can trust one another to find common ground while creating value and addressing risk. Visit Cohen Resnick's Resource Center at cohenresnick.com slash building trust for insights and tools to propel your business forward. Again, that's C-O-H-N R-E-Z-N-I-C-K dot com slash building trust.